Good evening, everybody. Hope you all are, are doing okay. It is uh, good to be here with you on this Wednesday as we, uh, we continue our series for our good. And uh, we begin to, to open up our campus on Wednesdays and Sundays uh, here over the next few weeks. Uh, wanted to remind you before we get started, um, this coming Sunday, we are, we are inviting uh, all families with the last names that begin uh, with letters F through L uh, to be here on Sunday morning uh, at our 10 o'clock service here in the auditorium. And um, we will continue on that track. Next month, we are going to, uh, on Sunday mornings, um, what we're leaning towards doing is instead of having four different groups attend on Sunday, having two larger groups attend on Sundays. And then Lord willing, in August, be back in the swing of things and everything will be as close to normal as humanly possible. Uh, but as, uh, as far as tonight goes, uh, and the rest of this month, as a matter of fact, on Wednesdays, we will be finishing up our series entitled For Our Good. Tonight, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. And next week, we will talk about uh, the topic of eternal security and what that looks what that looks like in the life of a believer. And then the final week in uh, June, we will talk about uh, eternal destination, things such as heaven, hell, and uh, some different theories there and uh, some scriptural information. Uh, going into July on Wednesdays, uh, Pastor is going to begin a series on the life of Moses. And uh, so he is going to begin doing that and we'll begin tagging off again every now and then, just depending on our travel schedules and stuff like that. But uh, it is good to be with you tonight. Very excited. We got a lot to get through. Uh, Pastor Justin is not here tonight. He is on vacation with his family. Uh, so your prayers are appreciated. I asked uh, Brother David Field. He is going to come tonight and lead us in prayer uh, at the end. Uh, but before then, let's go ahead and get things kicked off with prayer. Will you join me together? Father, we love you this, this evening. We welcome you here into this house, and we would just ask that the Holy Spirit would come, that you would fill our hearts with attention, that you would give us sharp minds, that you will help us, Lord, to see things that we may have never seen before and to understand in a way that we never have. I want to ask you, Lord, to come and anoint this word. I want to pray that you will anoint your people to hear and that this seed will fall on good soil and that we will bear the fruit of that in our lives to come. So, God, we bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, um, I want to begin by uh, telling you a little story um, a few weeks ago, uh, I was out mowing our lawn in South Carolina. I'm from Florida, and it's the same in there as it is here, but uh, about every two and a half hours, you have to mow your lawn. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I was out mowing the lawn, and, and I had just already, in the spring of the year, I had just worn my mower out, you know, and um, uh, got to a point my mower wouldn't, wouldn't crank, and, and so I was frustrated and everything, so I took it. I didn't know what the deal was. Some people were saying, well, it's the carburetor or maybe, you know, a spark plug. And I did everything that I could do. And so finally I loaded the, the mower up in the truck and I took it down to uh, a mower place. And this was right at the beginning of the pandemic and the shutdown. And so everybody and their mother was focused on doing lawn work, right? And so I went to a couple of repair shops. I went to two different places and they said, yeah, we can take it. We can take care of it for you about $75. It'll be about three weeks from today. I said, man, my, my grass will be a jungle in three weeks from today. And so I took it back to the house and made a couple phone calls and uh, did some, some Googling and uh, got on YouTube and I, I found out it was probably the carburetor. And so I, uh, I decided to get out the tools 
and get out my work gloves and get on YouTube and take the thing apart. And I did. I took it entirely apart and uh, I got the carburetor out and, you know, what I was reading and, and here you just need to clean it out and make sure it's thorough and everything like that. And you do, it'll, it'll crank back up. And so uh, I took it all apart and I, I have, you know, dozens of parts laying around and I go to put it back together. And I, as I'm putting it back together, I am literally 95% of the way through with putting the mower back together. And I looked down and I realized that there is this small little metal piece that fits somewhere in the mechanical construction of this thing, but I didn't know where it went. And I was 95% done putting it back together. And so I just thought to myself, ah, it'll be fine, right? Now, I should know better than that as nearly a 40-year-old man. I should know better than that, but I didn't. And uh, I proceeded to finish uh, putting the screws back in and uh, I went to crank it off and it cranked the very first time so I knew it is definitely the carburetor need to clean it. It started cranking and I started mowing it and, and about four steps into it I looked to the side and there was gasoline spewing outside of the side of the lawnmower. I mean everywhere and the mower was going and I, I just thought oh my lord you know I let it go and I was, I was terrified because I thought this thing would catch on fire any minute. And even after I let it go, gas was just guzzling out of, of the tank. And so I thought, I guarantee you, I know what it is. I didn't want to tell my wife. I didn't want to tell my neighbor. My neighbor rushed over, you okay, you know, and everything. And I didn't want to tell him. I said, yeah, it must be demon possessed. I don't know what's going on. And so um, in the back of my mind, though, I knew what it was. I knew it was that little metal piece that I had absolutely neglected. Right. And so I took it back apart and I put the little metal pieces called a needle valve, which basically, you know, it, it takes care of the flow of the gasoline so that it's not overrun. And uh, I put it back in there and the thing started working and it worked fine. And it worked. I mowed the lawn yesterday and it worked great. Right. The problem was, is that there was there was a really small thing that I felt like in my mind was incredibly insignificant to the situation at hand. I thought it wasn't a big deal. I kind of I knew it was there. But I kind of, I, I misunderstood the importance of that little thing, right? And so much so, almost, uh, I was almost burned to death because I, I just didn't understand how vital this little thing was, personally. So as we uh, begin to talk tonight about spiritual gifts, I liken that story and those events to the way a lot of people treat spiritual giftings. Spiritual giftings oftentimes can just kind of be pushed to the side or forgotten or often, frankly, probably more than anything, spiritual gifts can be so misunderstood that it gets frustrating for us that we just kind of set it to the side and we act like it's not that big of a deal when the reality is it is incredibly vital. It is incredibly vital. Every spiritual gift that we have is vital not only to our own personal development, but further for the development and the betterment of the church body and the spiritual family. And so tonight, when we, when we dig into to spiritual giftings, um, I just want to take a moment and encourage you. I want to encourage you to uh, be open-minded. I want to encourage you to explore and to uh, do some research on your own. There's no possible way that we can, you know, detail every nuance of every spiritual gift that's listed in Scripture. However, if you recognize the spiritual gift that kind of stands out to you and you say, that kind of sounds like me, you may want to take that on and begin to research and to study and to pray and to develop that gift um, and see where the Lord takes it. And so tonight we want to, we want to focus on the idea of spiritual giftings. 
Paul had a lot to say. There are four different sections in Scripture where Paul just goes through a litany of different spiritual gifts and, and activity and how we should deal with them in different things. But he begins in 1 Corinthians 12 by kind of setting the stage. Before he even gets into the explanation of spiritual gifts or anything like that, he kind of sets the stage for us. And you can read in your notes or it will be on the screen. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one or to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. And so when we, when we take a, a step back and we, we look at this scripture, again, Paul is setting the stage for us. And when we take a step back, we look at some observations. There are some things that we can learn real quickly at the forefront. The first thing is this is that Paul stresses to the brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Another way to say it would be misinformed about these spiritual gifts. And so what Paul's saying at the very outset, he's like, look, I know it may be confusing. I know that you may not fully understand. I know that some of the things may freak you out a little bit or scare you or frighten you, but it's very important that I teach on these spiritual giftings and it's very important that you educate yourself on the spiritual giftings. The second thing Paul wants to make us understand is that spiritual giftings are indeed given by God. I mean, emphatically. There are 11 verses here, and nine times in 11 verses, Paul says, look, it is the Spirit that gives these. It is God that gives these. All of these are wrapped up in one Spirit. Over and over and over again, he's helping us understand that not only is our salvation not earned by our works, but our spiritual gifting isn't earned by our works. It is truly a gift of God. The third thing he wants us to understand is that spiritual gifts are given to every Christian. Um, the New Living Translation says it uh, the best. Um, uh, chapter 12, verse 7 uh, here that we just read, but I love the way the New Living, Translation, uh, New Living Translation says it. Paul writes this. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Another translation says, a spiritual gift has been given to everyone so that we can help the entire church. So in other words, what he's saying is that there's a spiritual gift for every single person, right? So every person in this congregation, every person that you know who is a Christian, God has given a minimum of one spiritual gift to be cared for and developed and nurtured into what the Lord wants it to be. The fourth thing Paul is trying to stress here is that spiritual gifts strengthen the body of Christ, right? So Paul is calling to our attention. He's saying, listen, Corey, it is not just about what the spiritual gift means for you. It is about what the spiritual gift means for the entire body, okay? A couple of verses beyond what I read, Paul makes it emphatic to help us understand not only can our spiritual gifts not be earned, but our spiritual gifts also have nothing to do with social status, 
right? So Paul goes in and he starts in, in verse 12 or 13, I believe. He goes in and he says, listen, this isn't about whether you're Jew or Gentile. This isn't about whether you're Greek. It's not about whether you're male or female, free or slave. It's none of this stuff that earns these spiritual gifts for you. In his day, you would have these pockets of believers that felt like somehow and in some way they were more spiritually gifted or they had certain rights in the spirit realm than other believers. And so Paul brings this, this load of correction and he says, listen, it, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. I would say it doesn't matter if you live in Richland County or Lexington County, right? It doesn't matter if you're, if you're a Clemson fan or a Carolina fan, okay? Probably, maybe. I'll let you decide, okay? But what he's saying is that your social status, where you stand in society has zero to do with the spiritual gift that God has given you because he has not given it to you based on anything other than his love for you, okay? So it's not related to social status. And then finally, number six, he wants us to understand that spiritual giftings are a part of a bigger picture, right? So he's saying, look, the, the body of Christ, the ministry of God in the earth, is this enormous mosaic. And your part may be over here, and though it may look insignificant to you, it plays an incredibly vital role, and so we need to pay attention to it. And so Paul, again, in four of his letters, he goes through lists. He speaks directly to spiritual gifts, the proper usage, how to care for them, how to develop. He goes through all these things, and some of these things we will get into to tonight. So, so right here in this portion of Scripture, what Paul's done, he's kind of set the stage for spiritual giftings. He said, look, this is kind of what they are. This is where they're from. This is what you need to know before you begin to dive into these things, okay? Now, in modern times, um, there, there are primarily three different, three different very big categories of how people in the Christian community view the spiritual gifts, okay? Basically, three, three major categories. Number one is what we call cessationists, okay? Not sensationists, but cessationists. And basically, this pocket of believers, they believe that the, the miraculous gifts that are talked about in Scripture died out when the apostles died out. So in other words, what they believe is that the apostles, the reason that God gifted them in such miraculous ways was to draw attention to the gospel, to build a foundation for the gospel. And once that foundation was secured, then God removed the miraculous gifts from the church. Okay, that's what we call cessationists. This would be people like John MacArthur, who is an incredible man of God, right? But he does not believe in the miraculous workings of the Spirit in modern times. The second category is what we call continuationists. And you can guess what that means. It means that we are people that believe the miraculous gifts, all the gifts, but even the miraculous gifts have continued on throughout human history and they are still in operation today. So this would be um, uh, people primarily in the Assemblies of God. This would be uh, Bill Johnson, some different people like that. And then third, what we have is what I, I made this word up, so I hope it doesn't confuse anybody, but it's called the cautioninists, the cautioninists. And these are people that believe that the gifts of the miraculous are still in operation and functioning today. However, they are, they are nervous. They are, they are really um, uh, super, they try to be super discerning about everything that they see. When, when Paul says, look, test the spirits, they take this to a whole nother level, 
right? Um, and, and it's understandable and it's okay because there has been so much abuse with spiritual gifting in the past. And so what I would say is this, I would say that Christian life as a church, we are definitely not cessationists. I would say that we are somewhere between two and three. We're like, we're probably like 2.25 right there between two and three. Um, We are somewhere between um, continuists and those who utilize caution because we want to be wise with the gifts that God's given us. We want to use incredible discernment. We want to make sure that we are not stepping out of line um, with what the spirit of of God is doing in, in the church family. Okay, So when we begin to talk about the spiritual gifts, those are the three primary categories today. With us being continuationist, every spiritual gift that Paul speaks to in the Bible needs to be addressed in modern times because what we believe is that all of these gifts are in operation in some people today, right? And so when we begin to talk about the different types of spiritual gifts and the categories, and we're going to break down every scripture where Paul talks, and we'll, we'll talk practically about what some of these things look like, um, I think it's important for us to um, talk about the different categories of gifting, okay? Um, I'm I'm the type of person, I like to start really, really broad and kind of narrow our focus. And so I would would simply say this, that, that for every person that's alive, we have been given the gift of the Father in creation. Okay, so, so out of eternity past, the love of God, the goodness of God overflowed. And he said, I've got all this love in the, in the, between the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want to overflow and I'm going to create more things to love. I want to create more goodness. And so he gives us the gift of creation, right? From our rebellion in that creation, the Father looks and he says, I need to redeem these people. So he sends the gift of his Son so that we are bought with the blood of Christ if we choose to accept him. Well, following Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension into heaven, following that gift of salvation, the Lord continues to give us good gifts when he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, right? And so the Lord sends the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is, is his activity is to regenerate us, is to give us a new mind, is to bring us from spiritual death into spiritual life. Um, his, he, he empowers us for service. He gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Uh, the Lord is just overflowing with all these gifts that he's given to all his people. But then in a very specific individual kind of way, the Lord gives us very, very distinct gifts that every person may differ from um, on the planet. Uh, the first level is what we would call natural gifts, okay? Um, in the Bible, oftentimes, these are referred to as talents or, or natural abilities. Um, this is the idea that God is so good that when he created humanity, that he didn't just love humanity, but whether, whether people would choose him or reject him violently, that he was just going to distribute gifts all over the planet. He was going to give people natural abilities so that they could do work, so that they could be productive in society, so that they could build civilizations and societies. And so the Lord, regardless if a person is a Christian or not, we believe that the Bible teaches that God has given giftings, natural giftings, to every person on this planet, right? So this is why you can see a musician 
that literally travels all around the world and they inspire people with their songs or they, you know, they soothe broken hearts or they speak to people in a way that is incredibly profound. But at the end of the day, they are like really robust sinners, right? Uh, the reason is not because they are good. It's because God has, is good and he has distributed natural gifts to people all throughout the planet in a lot of varying uh, different ways. And so even as Christian believers, we are all born with natural giftings, right? So there are things that you and I, our disposition just leans certain ways. We're interested in certain things. Um, some people are interested in repairing lawnmowers, but not me. Okay, uh, different people are interested in numbers and finance and making budgets and doing those things, but not me. Okay, so I know that God has, has gifted me with natural leanings. My responsibility as a Christian is to consecrate those natural giftings and to give them back to the Lord as an offering, right? So when I take the natural giftings that God has given me and I dedicate them to his service, the anointing of the Holy Spirit can rest on my natural giftings in the same way that the anointing can rest on my spiritual giftings, right? So oftentimes, a lot of times in, in, in Christian culture, um, we, can, we can dismiss this, these natural things that God has given us and, and oftentimes anointed us just simply because they don't fall in the spiritual category. And I understand that. But I would contend that, again, just as God can anoint the spiritual giftings, God can anoint the natural giftings, and he does that for those of us who consecrate these gifts to him. So, so you even see this um, uh, in, in Old Testament times. As Moses is going, the Lord has given him instructions to construct the tent of meeting, later the tabernacle. This is what scripture says in, in Exodus chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for settings, and in carving wood to work in every craft. What the Lord is saying to Moses here is he's saying, look, Moses, you see this guy over here? He has all these incredible natural, he is a woodworker. He, he cuts gems and stones and he does a great job, but I have anointed him to do this work for my kingdom's sake, right? So, so all of a sudden in, in the very opening chapters of scripture, you see the Lord use not necessarily a spiritual gifting, but you see the Lord use a natural gifting and anoint that natural gifting for the furtherment of his kingdom. And it's important for us not to underestimate those natural giftings. But as important as it is for us not to underestimate them, um, we would be as much in error if we overestimated our natural giftings. What we must do is we must strike a balance between the spiritual gifts that God has given us and the natural gifts that he's given us and operate in both of these worlds for the betterment and the furthering of his kingdom. Okay, are you guys with me? Okay. So finally, the, out of all the types of gifts that God gives us is what we're going to hone in on tonight, which is what I would categorize simply as spiritual gifts. 
Uh, spiritual gifts, uh, they are giftings that are primarily used for the development of the church. It's for the, the strengthening of the spiritual family. It's for the strengthening of the individual also, but primarily it's for the strengthening of the body of Christ. And so we're going to kind of go through tonight um, all the different lists, and we're going to talk about each spiritual gift, uh, just the ones that are listed in the scripture. Um, you know, there is some debate whether uh, all the the all of the gifts are listed in Scripture, whether this is a comprehensive list or whether, you know, there are some other gifts that, um, that are outside of Scripture, such as singing or worship leading or different things like that. Um, I, I'm not going to speak to that tonight. I'm only going to speak to what is in the Scripture. But I would just say this. There is no way tonight, there is no way, please take this pressure off of me. There is no way for me to fully communicate what each of these gifts mean on an emphatic level that is not going to be debatable, okay? When I begin to talk about the gift of knowledge, as sure as I'm standing here, there are 40 other views that interpret the gift of knowledge differently than what I do, okay? But I will say this, um, the vast majority of, of my views of these are based in Scripture, and they are more of a conservative Orthodox kind of view, Okay, so they're not, nothing I say to you tonight, you're going to be like, oh my Lord, I've never seen it that way. And man, that seems kind of out there. Now, most of what I say is, is, again, pretty orthodox. It's not going to be um, incredibly mind-blowing. I'm not going to say that God has given you the gift to sprout wings and fly through the building and pray. Um, it's not going to be anything like that. We're going to do our best to stick to scripture. So we open tonight with, with a little bit of a recap from the spiritual gifts and the spiritual offices that we talked about last week. If, if you did not get a chance, you can catch that um, on YouTube. Uh, but let me read to you out of Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. This is what Paul says uh, about spiritual offices. He says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so last week, if you remember, we, we talked about the reality that, that in this specific portion of scripture right here, we believe that Paul is talking specifically to the office of a prophet, right? Um, we believe that there is a calling to be a pastor. There is a calling to be an evangelist. But at the same time, just because um, a, a person is not a prophet does not mean that they cannot be prophetic, right? So, so we talked a little bit last week about how here in our church family, uh, there are so many people that are very pastoral, very pastoral and caring and shepherding, want, want the best for the flock, um, but they may not be called to the office of a pastor, Right? So we believe these things that Paul is talking about. It is an office, but it doesn't mean if you don't carry the office of an evangelist that you don't have leanings toward evangelism or the gift of evangelism. That's, that's not what it means. The office is a distinct calling that one devotes their entire lives and their well-being to. That is the office, but people can possess the giftings of these offices even if they're not called to the office. Does that make sense? 
I thoroughly confused everybody there, I'm sure. And so um, as, we, as we begin to talk, I'll, I'll remind you of a pastor's incredible illustration um, with, with the fivefold ministry, which is simply this. Um, he would say that, that the prophet is represented by the pointer finger because prophetic voices have a way of kind of getting in your face and saying things in a really powerful way. But they also were able to guide the church in the direction that the church needs to go. Uh, the second finger represents the evangelist. The evangelist, the reason it's represented by the middle finger is because it's the one that reaches the farthest, unless you've had an incident and you have short fingers. I'm not sure, but, but normal fingers, the middle finger is the one that reaches the farthest, which is the work of an evangelist. They can reach people that the average person has difficulty reaching. The third finger is the, the ring finger, which represents the pastor due to the covenant relationship that a pastor has with the local body of believers. The, the pinky finger, the small finger, is represented by the uh, teachers. And this just represented because, like pastor says, there are certain parts of your body that, that you can reach with your pinky that you can't reach with other fingers. And a teacher has a distinct ability to be able to open God's word and to pick things out that the average person would not be able to understand, okay? The apostle is represented by the thumb because the apostolic gift has the ability to influence all of the other four. It's the only finger that can, okay? So as we again begin to talk about spiritual giftings, all these, some of these are spiritual callings, they're spiritual offices, but in this particular portion of scripture, it is talking about the office, but the gift of an evangelist can be in you or me, even if we're not called to that office, okay? And so this is Paul's opening statement about spiritual giftings and their availability to the church. And I want you to notice that as Paul says this, he doesn't say, look, the office of the prophet is given so that he can elevate himself above all people and lead the way in his own glory. That's not what Paul says. He says, look, all of these gifts are given. All of these leaders, these individuals, these people are given for the equipping and the betterment of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. And so it, it heavily lays upon the leaders of a church to not just stand in pulpits and teach and preach, but to empower and to pray for and equip the saints so that we all can do ministry together, so that ministry is not isolated in just one um, small set of human beings. So these are the offices and, and some of the giftings that, that Paul begins with. Uh, the second level that, that he speaks to is found in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. And this is what, what Paul says. He says, to one person... There's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits or discernment between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of those tongues. And so Paul just, again, he begins to go into these things and he begins to explain them. And tonight what we're going to do is just kind of go one by one through this list and just give you a little taste of, of, of each of these. And again, if any of these cause your antennas to rise, 
and say, man, that sounds a lot like me, or man, that sounds like my wife, okay? Uh, that is, that is a, a, a point that you're gonna wanna circle and you're gonna, gonna wanna go back to and do some research. There have been times where I'm reading through spiritual giftings and I will see something and I'll say, man, that reminds me of my son. You know what I mean? And so what I wanna do is I want to expose him to that spiritual gift more so that he can grow and develop into being everything that God has called him to be. Um, so Paul starts with number one, what we're gonna call um, wisdom or the, the gift of wisdom. Uh, the gift of wisdom is, is closely related to the gift of knowledge. As a matter of fact, a lot of these gifts that we're gonna talk about there is a lot of overlapping. There are, there are a lot of similarities and they kind of overplay. And so oftentimes what you'll see is that if one person has one gift, they, they likely on some level have some surrounding gifts that are around, at, at least in part, even if they're super strong in one. Um, so wisdom is linked to knowledge, but, it, but it's different than knowledge. Um, wisdom is the distinct ability to have profound understanding in very difficult and unique situations, right? So uh, you've heard before about the men of Issachar. The Lord says in scripture that the men of Issachar, there were like, there were like 200 leaders, okay, in, in the land of Israel. And the Bible says that they, they looked at the landscape of what was going on in, in Israel. And the Bible says they, they saw what was going on and they understood what to do, right? They didn't understand in hindsight what to do. They didn't have some battles and say, man, we gotta train our warriors. No, they knew what to do ahead of time in order to avoid pitfalls. And so what we see with, with the gift of wisdom is incredible foresight. It's the ability to move beyond hurdles so that they don't cripple you. Right. Um, and, and what's interesting with with wisdom, there is a difference between the gift of wisdom and acts of wisdom. OK, um, the gift of wisdom is something that that a person is just possessed with. It's almost like every time that a, that a difficult situation comes about, they look to that person and they say, what should we do? What is the Lord saying that we should do? And it is, it is the gift of wisdom. R.T. Kendall would say that the gift of wisdom is the most primary gift out of all the gifts that, that are written in scripture, okay? So, so there, is, there is one thing that says um, the, the gift of wisdom is to know in a very common way, re repeatedly time and time again, Acts of wisdom are different. The, James tells us that we should call out to the Lord. If you lack wisdom, ask the Lord and he will give you wisdom. And there, there are different times in life where um, we, 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 we do certain things that are just wise. I remember when I was, I was young, I was very, very young uh, in ministry. My wife and I got married at 19. We went into ministry at the age of 22. Okay, and we've been in ever since. And I remember my first year in ministry, um, I decided to do something. It wasn't corrupt. There was, there was nothing nefarious about it or anything. Um, but one day I had made lunch plans with um, some guys in the youth ministry. And we decided that we were going to meet downtown and we were going to grab a bite to eat and everything. And so, so we go downtown and we show up. Well, the restaurant that we had decided to go to was closed. What I didn't know is that with them, um, they had brought a young lady from the youth ministry with them. And so when we got to the restaurant, we realized it was closed. 
uh, the young lady looks at me and she says, Pastor Corey, she says, I, I just, I, I, I cannot ride in the car with these guys. The car is filthy. There's glass in the floorboard. There's all this kind of stuff. Would you mind if I rode with you to the restaurant? And in my utter stupidity, I agreed to let this beautiful young lady ride with me alone in a car at the age of 22 at a church I had just become a pastor in, exposing myself to every level of speculation for anybody who would see us riding alone in a car together, right? That was not a moment of wisdom for me, okay? But what I learned from that is that I will never do that again, right? And so when I choose not to do that again, that is an act of wisdom, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I possess the gift of wisdom. You understand what I'm saying? It's something that I'm looking back on saying, nope, the wise thing to do is stay away, you know? Um, but the gift of wisdom is something that is repeated time and time again. People look to a person with the gift of wisdom. They say, what should we do in these ridiculous times? Help us figure out the way. The gift of knowledge is often referred to as a word of knowledge. Uh, this is when a person has an, an unusual ability to understand or, or they have insights about things that are unknown, right? So uh, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, um, my wife and I were, were somewhere and we were talking to a young lady and she was, um, she was just telling us about some things going on in their life and everything. And we started talking about our children. We just, you know, we just brought home a baby. And so she was asking about the baby and, and she said, well, my friend just had a baby the, the other day. And I was like, oh, that's so neat. Tell me about it. And so she starts talking about, you know, the friend and, and she makes a statement. She says, when uh, the night before they went to induce the child, she said, I had a dream about the baby. She said, it was the craziest thing. She said, I saw the baby being born. And when the baby came out, the baby had a, had a name tag on it. And the baby's name was, was this. And she went on to say, she said, listen, uh, what you got to understand is that the couple, they hadn't yet decided on a name or they had not yet at least revealed the name that were they, they were going to call the child. They were going to make it, you know, this big surprise for everybody once the baby was born. And so the young lady uh, ends up calling and she says, before you tell me the name of the baby, she said, I want to tell you I had a dream about the baby last night. And when I saw the baby, she had a tag on her and the name of the baby was Sarah Beth or whatever it was, right? And the mom on the other end started weeping. And she said, how did you know that we named our baby this? And she said, I'm telling you, I had a gift. Now, let me, let me clarify this. Number one, it's important to understand that, that we don't know why God would choose to do something so seemingly obscure, we don't, we don't know. We don't know if there was something in that mama's heart that needed to hear that and the Lord in his kindness revealed that to her. We don't know what the situation was, but clearly the Lord was at work for something like this. It's an incredible thing, but we would associate that with a gift of knowledge, right? We would associate that with a person who just, um, they, they just, in an uncanny way, they are not arrogant, they are not boastful about it, but in, in an uncanny way, they have an ability in certain situations to step in and they are able to provide words of knowledge to a particular person or a situation, etc. okay? I would stress this, that the gift of discernment should be sought desperately 
in charismatic and Pentecostal churches because in past times, incredible abuses have happened with people who supposedly had words of knowledge and there was some level of deception. And so we gotta be, we gotta be very wise. You know, Jesus said, look, be harmless as doves, but be wise as serpents. Like do your best to be wise to make sure that, that we aren't led astray. Number three is what we call the gift of faith. Um, and, and just to be clear, this is not uh, the faith that saves a person. It's not when you, know, you come to Christ. That is not what Paul is talking about here. This is a, a unique confidence that a person has in the promises and in the power of God. Okay, it's a, it's a unique thing. Um, you know, we all have some level of faith in God because we have chosen Christ. We all have some level, but these people have an extraordinary amount of faith. Um, a few weeks ago, we, uh, my family had, had um, a financial need and, and there were some things and somebody came by our house and, and we didn't go tell people about it or anything, but somebody came by our house and um, they knew about the need. And they dropped off a financial gift, and it was a significant financial gift. And, and um, what they did not know is that the Lord had already met the need. Okay, so we had a need, the Lord had met the need, but they didn't know it and came and, and gave us a, a financial gift. And so in the moment, we said, no, listen, thank you so much for this, but the Lord has already met this need. We can't accept the gift. And this is what they said. They said, do not even try to give that back to me. They said, as sure as I'm standing here, as I sow into your life, even if you don't need these finances, as I sow into your life, I will reap it in my own, right? That is, that is a moment of faith. That is a person that says, I don't really care about circumstances. I trust in the power. I trust in the providence. I trust in the promises of God. Right? So these are the people that when you, when you see them in churches and God does something incredible, somebody comes to Christ or somebody is healed or a demon is cast out or something like that, these are the only people in the church that are like, yep, I knew that was going to happen. Right? They're the only ones not shocked. They're never surprised. They're like, oh yeah, that's, but that's what God's word says. He says he was going to do it, thus he did it. Right? So they're the only people. So the next time something in, just incredible happens, scan the congregation and find the person that's just like, yep, they're the people with the gift of faith. Okay? Because the average person is going to see something miraculous take place and they are going to be astounded that God has done such an incredible thing. Okay? So that is what we would call the gift of faith. Number four is the gift of healing. Okay, uh, the gift of healing is the ability to restore people on every level. Okay, I want to be real clear about this. This is uh, there are so many nuances, there are so many opinions. Um, I am going to do my best to serve up for you what I believe is is the right opinion, and I would simply begin by saying this: We must not restrict the gift of healing just to the physical realm. Okay. The gift of healing, when you look in Scripture, when you look at people in the Old Testament and New Testament that were either delivered from demonic influence, the Bible would use phrases like, and their mind came back to them, right? That is not a, that is not a physical healing. That is, an, that is a healing of the mind. That is a healing of the emotions. In the Old Testament, you would see kings that would basically go crazy and the sovereign God would come and he would heal them and they would be restored in their cognitive mind. Okay, so it's very important that we not limit healing just to the physical. Healing is something that takes place in the emotional level, the spiritual level, in, in, you know, in, in every single level, we got to make sure that we don't limit it. 
Furthermore, we've got to make sure that, that we don't limit physical healing to an instantaneous healing, okay? A thousand times, and we seek the face of God for more and more instantaneous healings. That's what we seek God for. But that is not always the case. And when we do not see something instantaneously happening, we cannot lose hope or faith that God isn't going to come through. We have to continue to press into that. We've got to continue to believe God to provide healing for the people that we love and we so deeply care about. Now, just as, as healing is, is not always immediate, in the same way, sometimes it is never. Sometimes healing does not happen. And sometimes it is not because of a lack of faith. It is because of the sovereign mysterious, unknowable plan of our God. And as frustrating as that is in our Western society, in a culture that demands answers and we want to know, God makes it incredibly clear that there are just some things that will forever and always remain a mystery. Now, we contend for healing. We fight and we, uh, we petition the Lord and we seek and we fast and we pray and we do these. But at the end of the day, all of these giftings in operation are up to the sovereign hand of God when he chooses to move and why he chooses to move. And so we, we've got to be mindful of, of these things when we talk about healing. Now, healing is also close to number five, which is uh, entitled miraculous powers, okay, or miracles, as some translations say. Miracles is an extraordinary ability to work in a realm that is not natural. Okay, so this means in scripture, when we see um, exorcisms, when we see the casting out of demons, we've seen that here in our church. You see these things, those are miraculous works, okay? When you see someone in scripture raised from the dead, that is a miraculous work. When you see um, someone struck blind, that is a miraculous work. And oftentimes we get the miraculous and the healing confused because we expect instantaneous healing. But oftentimes healing is gradual. Sometimes it's instantaneous, but most of the time it's gradual. But when we talk about miracles, miracles are, are not gradual. They are almost always instantaneous, right? So the casting out of a demon, um, it, it may require a process of time and prayer to press through, but it's not something like, well, I'm going to come back in a week or two and see how things are going. No, we press through because in that moment, we're expecting God for an instantaneous delivering um, of people like this. And so people that, that often possess um, gifts of miracles, uh, such as Paul right? Um, Paul struggled a lot. There's a lot of speculation about why he struggled. Uh, there's some people that, that believe he struggled with, with his pride, with his ego. We talked last week, Paul was, was, he called himself an apostle born outside of the right season. Uh, he fought at different times in scripture. You're hearing some of his writings. He's, he's, he's basically contending for his apostleship. He's saying, I belong with the original 11. I should have been the 12th apostle. A lot of people believe that that's what Paul felt and, and based on his history and his, his, you know, basic perfection of keeping the law and holy living and all this, some people believe that Paul kind of struggled with pride. And so mixed with that, when God miraculously saves Paul, God also begins using Paul to raise people from the dead, to heal people, to do all kind of things. God begins to give Paul the gift of miracles. And some people believe, I know I'm going on rabbit trail, I know some of this is speculation, but some people believe that because Paul 
uh, may have struggled with pride, that God allowed that messenger from Satan, that thorn in the flesh, to remain in Paul in order to keep him humble. Okay, so some people believe that the thorn in the flesh was a physical thing, and some believe it was something just to keep him humble. I don't know what it was. I frankly don't really care. The point of what I'm trying to say is that he possessed such a high level, what, what humans would consider such a high level of spiritual gifting, that it is possible that his arrogance might have gotten in the way, and God allowed things in Paul's life in order to keep him humble and pliable and usable. Right. So oftentimes what you'll see with people and you can read history, you can read church history to discover this. What you will see in a lot of the lives of people that God uses in miraculous ways. Uh, I was reading a, um, uh, a book on the life of Smith Wigglesworth a few years ago. And Smith Wigglesworth, I mean, he's incredibly controversial. OK, but uh, there, he God, God used him in powerful and in mighty ways. Um, but Smith Wigglesworth, as much as he would do the miraculous, and some say that he raised the dead and brought people back to life, but God definitely used him in, in the healing realms, oftentimes instantaneous healings. God used him in really powerful ways. But as much as God used him in those ways, what you may not know is that Wigglesworth himself struggled with physical infirmities. Uh, the, the book I was reading talked about, you know, he had an appendicitis like rupture and ultimately got healed. But, but beyond that, and I know this, I'm not trying to be crude when I say this, but Wigglesworth had a chronic case of hemorrhoids. And they were, they were excruciating to the point there were some days, he was, he was originally like a plumber, and, and there were some days he could not go to work because of the physical toll that it was taken on his body. Um, he would have to take salt baths almost every night just to ease the pain of the moment. And sometimes what you will see in people, in the, in the lives of people, and I don't know if it's spiritual warfare, I don't, I don't know if it's a price that's got to be paid, I don't, I don't really understand all of that realm. I know that God is not causing it, but God allows certain difficulties in the lives of some people that operate at high levels. And some people believe that it is, God allows it in order for them to maintain an attitude of disposition of humility, okay? So it's, it's important for us to, to understand, again, the difference between the gift of healing and the gift of miracles. Number six, Paul would talk about the gift of prophecy. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. It's very close to like words of knowledge and different things like that. Uh, prophecy is the fourth telling of a message. Prophe people with a prophetic bent, they can have a word from the Lord and they can say it in a certain way that just cuts straight to the heart of people. And person B over here could say the exact same thing and it not cut to the heart. Right. So there's a prophetic anointing to foretell. There's also a prophetic anointing to foretell. And this is where, um, you know, there, there may be people who have words of knowledge or there may be people who uh, the Lord gives them a dream or a vision or a word about something that's to come in the future, a foretelling of, of sorts. Um, these kind of things we believe are, are very much alive in the body of Christ today. But we must be cautious and use discernment as we dig into these types of things. Um, 
So the gift of prophecy, again, we, we spoke about this last week. Number seven is what Paul calls the distinguishing between spirits. Uh, we would call this the discerning of spirits. This is basically the ability, like the unconscious ability just to be able to discern what is good and evil. It's the ability to discern what is uh, carnal and what is spiritual. Uh, I remember uh, one of my, my mentors uh, was a part of the revival at Brownsville, Richard Crisco, one time. We were, I can't even remember where we were, but we were somewhere in a church service. And there was a, there was a young man and he was, he was dancing and people were, you know, in worship and everything. And the man starts dancing and he starts dancing up on the stage. And for like two minutes, the kid is, is up here dancing. He's an incredible distraction. And this, this incredible man of God, Richard Crisco, he's, he's an incredible man of God. He, he goes and so kindly and gently he goes and he just kind of wraps his arm around that young man and he walks him off the stage, right? He goes and he takes him down and he begins to talk to him about being in distraction and different things like that. In that moment, what was happening is that Pastor Richard had a moment where he understood the discerning of spirits and he understood that this was not a spiritual thing that was happening, that it was a carnal thing. It was a fleshly thing that was happening, perhaps to draw attention. Now, I know that seems incredibly judgmental. I know that no man can know another man's heart, but the Lord has given this gift so that we can distinguish between right and wrong and in, in many different situations, okay? Uh, number eight is what we call the, the gift of tongues. Uh, this is when a person uh, speaks in an unintelligible, like in syllables, uh, when they speak in an unknown language. Um, in the book of Acts, the very first time tongues appears, uh, the people are not speaking in a heavenly language. They are speaking in other earthly languages and they are communicating the gospel. We believe that stuff still happens today, but we also believe that on an individual level that, we, that every believer can receive the gift of tongues, which is more like a heavenly language. It's more like a prayer language where the Lord, uh, Paul said that, that when I pray in tongues, that, that God edifies me, right? So we believe that, that the gift of tongues is still in operation today. And we also, number nine, believe in the interpretation of tongues as a gift. This is where in a congregational setting, which in context, this is what Paul's doing. He's not necessarily talking about individual. He's saying, look, when you gather together, these are the spiritual gifts that are going to be in operation. And he talks about tongues and then the interpretation of tongues. And so this is when a person in a, in a church setting or even in a house church or a life group, when there's worship and all of a sudden someone breaks out in, a, in, a, in an elevated voice and they, they give a word in tongues, that somebody instinctively, they know exactly what that person is trying to communicate. And they will, are able to stand and they are able to say what that person just said is God trying to say this to us right now. Right? That is them interpreting what God is saying in tongues through them. Right? So in a church our size, practically, it's impractical for us to operate kind of that, that loose and different thing. So what you'll see us do oftentimes is that if there is a person who has a message in tongues, what we have asked the church family to do is that if you do have that, we're going to ask you to come to Pastor Justin or whomever is, is kind of emceeing the service, and he will give you a microphone so that the, the, the message in tongues can be heard for the entire congregation. Because if you're in the middle of worship here, and a person gets a message in tongues back over there, the people on this side of the auditorium are not going to be able to hear them. And so we practically made it so that everybody can hear and the entire church can be edified and grow. And then if a person has an interpretation, they also come and they can speak it in the mic. So that's how we kind of practically live some of these things out today. Um, Paul goes on and he gives us 
a third set of giftings. And uh, he does this in 2 Corinthians at the very end of the chapter of 12. This is what he says. He says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, which we've already talked about, then miracles, then gifts of healing, which we've already talked about. And then he talks about um, three other types, two of which we have not. He talks about the gifts of helping, and he talks about the gifts of administration. The gift of helping is when there is a person that is gifted and they are incredibly passionate about just doing things that need to be done, right? This is a person, literally the, the Greek word for this verb, it is, it, is, it is the phrase to wait on tables, right? So what Paul is saying is, look, there's a gift in the body of Christ for people who want to wait on tables, Right. And the, the majority of people, we would look and we would say, man, that's grunt work. Nobody wants to do that. But the people with the gift of helping, they don't feel that way. It brings them to life. They're thinking, take out the trash. Heck, yes. This is my expression of a spiritual gift. And the rest of us are like, that smells. Take it out. You know, and so so it is it is a spiritual gift that is beneficial not only to them, but to the body. Right. So so. Uh, Many of you guys know Rebecca Wesley. She, we, she was in our youth ministry in Panama City, and we moved her up here to, to work on staff at the church years ago. She, I believe she possesses the spiritual gifts of helps. And basically, she is just the person. It is never a burden for anyone to ask her to do something. She is always sitting on go. She is always ready to go. As a matter of fact, Rebecca is the type of person that she will grow frustrated if there are some menial things that need to get done and you don't ask her to do them. Right. So that is a telltale sign of a person that possesses the gift of helps. OK. Now, with that said, we are all called to servanthood. OK. We are all called to servanthood, but some of us enjoy it more than others. OK. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. Some of us view serving others with love because we love the person, but we hate the task. A person who is anointed with the gifts of helps, they love the person and they love the task. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's important for us to, to kind of distinguish. Like I said, there are a lot of nuances with all these kind of things, um, but it is a thing that definitely brings fulfillment for them. Number seven is, is what we call the gift of administration. Uh, it is the ability to organize, direct, plan, and execute. The, the word here interpreted of, of administrating is literally the verb that, that gives us a word picture of a captain that is guiding a ship in very troubled and dangerous waters. And not only is the captain able to steer and navigate and to get the ship out of treacherous waters, but at the same time, they are able to communicate to the shipmates what needs to happen and to keep them from freaking out. Right? They, they are able to keep them doing their duties so that we can all get from where we are to where we want to be. This is the gift of administration. Oftentimes, people with the gift of administration, um, um, they, they have a love for details, right? So if you're a person who just like every, you know, if, you know, I don't, I don't even know what's to describe it, but, but if a person asks you a question and you follow up with four questions, you may have the gift of administration because you want to know every single detail about things that are going on. The trouble with people that, that have the gift of administration is that sometimes they can put projects over people. 
right? So, so they can prioritize getting the work and the job done, sometimes at the expense of people, okay? So, so with that said, let me, let me just say this. All of these gifts can be taken out of balance for better or for worse, okay? They, they can all be taken out of balance. There are dangers no matter, no matter what spiritual gifts you possess. There are all dangers. And so we've, that's why we need to, that's why when Paul said, look, don't be drunk of wine, be filled with the Spirit. That is why we must be continually filled with the Spirit so that when opportunity comes for us to fulfill uh, uh, you know, our spiritual giftings, that we do so with the wisdom and not reactionary. It's important for us to be filled with the Spirit so that we can, we can do that. And so um, Paul then goes on and he wraps up with his final list in Romans chapter 12. And this is what he says. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts or encourages, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. And so what Paul does is he's, you know, as he writes these different letters, there's a lot of overlap. So there are a lot of the gifts that are repeated, like the gifts of prophecy or the gifts of miracles. Um, there, there are a lot of things that are, that are repeated, and we're not going to, you know, do double time on that. But we're going to jump really quickly to the gift of exhortation. This is a, a unique ability to live in a place where you constantly are focusing on lifting others up. You're constantly focused on reminding people of the goodness of God, the promises of God, and the potential of God that lives inside of you, right? Um, I, I remember a couple of months ago, I was, uh, my family and I just, it has been crazy. It, okay, so the pandemic started. We got a call about adopting a new child. Um, we wrestled through that. I was in the middle of a master's program. And again, we were in the middle of a global pandemic, right? So there's, there's a lot of stress going on in this particular time. And a couple months ago, man, I found myself being drawn to a, to a certain, I'll tell you, his name's Nate Norman. He, he attends our church, him and his, his wife, Katie, their family. Nate, I believe, I haven't told him this. I, don't, don't tell him, I want to tell him because I've been intending to talk to him about it. But I believe that Nate possesses the gift of exhortation because he is forever and always focused on lifting somebody else up and reminding us of the potential that rests inside of us and the promises of God to fulfill that potential. It is incredible. And I found myself in this incredibly stressful moment of just being like drawn to Nate. Like, I just want to spend time. I need to text this guy, you know, like, and I was like, man, where is this coming from? Do I have like a, a, a dude crush on him? I don't know what's going on, you know? And, and, and I began to realize, no, I'm drawn to the spiritual gift that's in him because it's edifying and it's helping me in this moment, okay? And listen to me, that's what every one of these spiritual gifts are intended to do. They're not just, they are for us, but they are really for others and for the entirety of the body. And so it's important for us to press in and to learn about them and to, to use them. Number five um, in, in this section is uh, the gift of giving. And this is just simply when a person, I could go into so many stories, but for the sake of time, I won't. When a person just, they're possessed with this idea of selflessly giving and sharing what they have, their resources, without ever expecting return. I have a person give my family a vehicle one time. And I don't mean like, you know, a beat up Pinto, okay? I mean like an Eddie Bauer expedition, fully leather, fully leather, like give us a vehicle. And when they handed me the keys, this is what they said. 
They said, you can drive it off a cliff, you can sell it tomorrow, you can keep it for the rest of your life, but there are no strings attached and there never will be. That is a person who I believe possesses the, the gift of giving, okay? And so there's the selflessness that never expects any type of return. There's the gift of leadership, which is obviously the ability to lead a people group. But this, although it's closely tied to like pastoring and administration, it's different. Whereas administration focuses on details, the gift of leadership usually, usually is a lot more broad and it's people that kind of despise details. Right? They despise the little stuff. They want to go visionary, entrepreneur. Let's create some businesses. Let's do all these kind of things. If you know people that every four days they have a new business idea and they are a Christian, they may possess this gift of spiritual leadership. Okay. Um, number seven is what we call the acts of mercy. And this is when a person who is just consumed with helping those who are suffering. Right. Um, this would be here in our church family. Uh, many of our people who are in the Stephen ministry are, are, are professional counselors, different things. They, are, they just have this way of, of absorbing other people's problems. They have this distinct sympathy and, and they shoot for empathy. And, you know, they're the type of people that, you know, they, it's almost like they have this invisible sign that says, tell me all your problems. Right. And people are just drawn to them and they just unload on them all the time. These are the type of people that if they see kittens on the side of the road, they bring them home. Okay, so so if you know somebody that kind of fits in those kind of categories, they may they may possess the, the gift of acts of mercy. Okay, now as we wrap things up, and Brother David is going to come here and pray in just a couple minutes. Let me let me let me finish setting the stage that Paul has begun. Right, so he goes in and says, "Listen, understand all these things. You didn't earn this. This is from the Lord. This is for the betterment of the body." He goes into all these things and explains. He kind of sets the stage for us. And then he goes into some of the spiritual gifts. And then the very last verse of the chapter, this is what he says. After he has just talked about all these spiritual giftings. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And he begins 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we in the West, we have classified as the, the love chapter. And so Paul goes into this incredible exposition and begins saying, listen, he says, it doesn't matter if you speak with tongues of angels. It doesn't matter if you give your life to the poor. It doesn't matter if you die in your service for the Lord. If you do not possess love, it all means nothing. Right? So he, he sets this beautiful stage and people are so excited. And they're like, I see the gift of prophecy in me. Give me a stage. And he says, whoa, 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 he says, I want to show you the most excellent way. He says, listen, you can do all that. You can be all that. People can flock to you. You can be popular. You can fill this void inside. But if this gift isn't wrapped thoroughly with love, it's kind of nothing in the eyes of God. Ultimately, it'll do some good on this earth. And that's fine. That's good. But eternally, there's no reward because it's not wrapped in love. So Bob Jones, a prophetic voice who died a few years ago, he, he, he claims to have had this in, encounter where God translated him to heaven. And while he's there, he said that the Lord, for every person who was going to heaven, the Lord just stopped them and didn't ask him anything else. He just asked them this. He said, I'm going to let you into heaven. He asked this question. He said, but my question for you is this. Have you learned to love? Not what did you do, not 
how big your ministry was, not how big your life group was, not how well you did in this area or that area. He said, have you learned on earth to love? And that speaks volumes to us when we close out this chapter where we're talking about spiritual giftings. The reality is this, is that spiritual gifts are never a mark of maturity. They are never a mark of spiritual maturity. Spiritual fruit is a mark of maturity. Spiritual gifts are never a mark of maturity. You know why? Because gifts are never earned. They're given. And when we operate in our giftings without the ingredient of love, it's kind of like, it's like us trying to make sweet tea without the sugar. Number one, it's sinful, okay? <laughs> and number two, it's disgusting to the person who's taking it in. And so we've got to make sure that everything we do is cloaked in love. We've got to make sure that everything we do is pleasing to the Lord. So real quickly, I'm going to do this. And Brother David, I'm going to ask you to come in three minutes. Six incredibly practical things that you can do real quickly. Number one is this. Appreciate your gift that God has given to you. Give thanks to the Lord for every good thing that he's given. And at the same time, affirm other people. Listen to me. You know why I'm going to have that conversation with Nate and tell him what it meant to me, why I was so drawn. You know why I'm going to do that? Because somewhere in the back of my mind, I got to believe that it's going to edify him and it's going to build him. It's going to give him courage to continue on when he may feel down about who he is in the Lord. And so it's important that we appreciate our gifts, but we affirm others in gifts. Number two is that we lead our gifts with love. Again, what we just talked about, they need to be cloaked in love. Number three is that we need to embrace our gifts or our gift, okay? But let me just say this. Even if your gift is not glamorous or a gift that you don't really desire, it is important that you embrace it and grow into it because ultimately the gift is not about you and the gift is not about me. God in his sovereign nature chose to give us those gifts for a very good reason, even if we don't understand and even if we don't desire it. So we need to be okay with ourselves. That is the mark of spiritual maturity. Being pleased with who God has made me to be is a mark of spiritual maturity. Number four, develop your gift. I love what Paul said in Romans. He said, look, we all got different gifts according to the grace given to us, so let us use our gifts right? So oftentimes when we talk about spiritual giftings, it's important to remember that we often grow by doing, okay? I am a horrendous golfer, but I continue to golf so that I hope I can get better. I know that I will in time. The more that I do it, I'm just really at a low level right now. But in time, I hope to grow in that. We oftentimes learn by doing. And so one way to develop our faith is just to do it is to step out there. If you feel like you got the gift of evangelism, step out there and begin to evangelize. Use your faith. Let, it lead. Let your faith override your fear and just step out and begin to do it. Even if nobody, some people may look at you and say, I don't think that you had that gift. Who cares what they think? Between you and the Lord, whatever you feel like your gifting is, lean into that thing. Use that faith. Learn about your gifting. Read books. Take spiritual gifting tests. Do, do what you can. Listen to sermons. Number five, stir your gift in the spiritual realm. Pray. Bathe your gifting in prayer. Um, ask God for opportunities to use your gift. And finally, number six, Paul instructs us to ask for more gifts. Paul says, listen, I want to persuade you to ask for the greater giftings. Right Now, he doesn't lay out for us what greater giftings means, but he calls us to ask 
for those giftings that are greater. And here's what's the amazing part. What's great, a greater gift to me may not be a greater gift to you. And what's a greater gift to you may not be a greater gift to me. But God knows, and we trust him. And we say, Father, I'm so grateful for all, all that I have. And when I've matured this, when I've developed what you've already given me, I'm coming for more. And the Father says, bring it. In his inspired word, he instructs us, seek and desire the greater spiritual gifts, and God will help us.